my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, which is all about you, your wallet, and your financial future. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. You got a question for me? Go to clark.com slash ask and post away. But if you have a question you want to get answered and you'd be happy talking just with a member of our team, that's free. Scroll down a little on our main website, clark.com, and you'll see the phone number and hours available each weekday for free off-the-air advice. Coming up later, when you buy a car, second biggest expense in our lives, you want to make sure you're spending money on a vehicle that will stay on the road and not in the repair shop. I got some new important data on how to get the most reliable vehicle. So some of the most frustrated calls that come in on our show are from people who've been locked out of their accounts, where a hacker has gotten in, locked them out, and they're up to mischief. Email sometimes, more often it's social media accounts. And trying to deal with people at one of the social media sites when you got locked out. What a hassle. And Facebook has been such a target for that. So I can report to you that Facebook has a new procedure where if you get locked out of your account, you're able to get it back under your control. But there are things you must do first before any mischief happens with your account that will protect you so what they have is they have a system that is loosely copied has loosely copied the google program called inactive account manager and what you do is you have trusted contacts trusted people that you put into your Facebook account. And they don't get to do things with your Facebook account or anything like that. They're just there to help you if your account gets locked on you. And so it is a very simple procedure to set up. But I just want you to know that there are any of a number of reasons why uh, someone up to no good would want to take over one of your accounts and it's really really easy to do you go to your security and login settings and you scroll down there'll be a section where you can choose your friends that are like your safe zone your trusted contacts and you're able to put them in the system and then you're good we have step by step for you on clark.com how to do this If you have trouble figuring out how to do this on Facebook, and if the Google thing I talked about, you're like, wait, Google has what? Go to uh, your Google account and type in in the search, inactive account manager, and it's a really useful thing to have attached to your Google accounts. Felipe is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Felipe. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great, thank you. You got student loans you got to deal with. Do you have a mountain of student loans or just a manageable pile? 
Um, it's it's a mountain. Well, first of all, let me just say I'm a huge fan, and I've been uh, listening you. to you, continue to listen and follow you. But, um, yeah, I do have a mountain of student loans, and I've received some advice, and I, I just don't know if I should take this advice or, you know, I just want to get your opinion, I guess. Um, I have about $230,000 in student loans. Uh, my I would say that that qualifies as like a Rocky Mountain peak. That's a lot. Yeah, I mean, the good thing is that it's all federal federal student loans, so it's not private, and um, it's the only debt that I have. I have zero other debt. I make about $80,000 a year. My fiance also has quite a bit. Um, she has $180,000, and she makes about $90,000 a year. And I guess my question to you is that I was advised by, you know, accountants and financial advisors, considering the amount of debt that I have, uh, I should just make the minimum payments for 20 years and then get the 1099 C, you know, and discharge the remaining balance. Because they basically told me that if I go pay as much as I can for 10 years on the 10 payment plan in 10 years, you know, I, I could have purchased a house put money in my retirement accounts and be okay, essentially, and just maintain a, you know, balance sheet poor, essentially. What do you think? Well, I mean, this is a mixed bag because it, your income and your uh, fiance's income are either of you in professions where over the years, over these 20 years, are you either or both of you going to see a steady rise in income or will you be in this general vicinity that'll just maybe inflation adjust with raises for promotions and stuff like that over a 20-year period? Her cap is probably about 120 to 150. And then I would say my cap is unlimited. Like, um, I, she's a physician assistant and I'm an attorney. So you could end up eventually having a very lucrative practice and earn quite a bit more money. And as I mean, a PA, with the extreme shortage of primary care doctors, her potential earning power could be higher as a ceiling than you expect right now. Okay. So, so it makes it a tough call, because as your income rises on the revised pay-as-you-earn schedule, what will be expected of you will rise as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, since both of you have, you're starting out with professions that pay well and both of you have the potential for incomes to rise i like the idea of you tackling what is incredible four hundred and ten thousand dollars in student loan debt tackling it and not facing 20 years from now if you're making a huge amount of money as a lawyer you could face from that 1099 a 50 percent tax bill 40 50 percent I mean, you could face a massive tax bill because the amount forgiven is taxed as ordinary income. I, I have heard that. But I heard that um, in that type of situation, the IRS is very willing to negotiate what you actually pay back. I have not heard that. Okay. That If that's going on, I have not heard that. Okay. So yeah, I, well, I, I know that I know that it seems like hey we're we're having to put our lives on hold while we tackle this debt but i'll tell you if, if you at the incomes you have even if you do revised pay as you earn but you pay more than the minimum required 
you're going to attack the the principal and you'll see as the years march on that you'll make serious progress in the balance okay especially you, for you especially for you where you're right as a lawyer if you end up with a very solid client base and if you're, you're doing corporate defense or what kind of law are you practicing i'm actually a uh, commercial bankruptcy attorney so i do a lot of chapter 11s yeah for companies that are having to pay you a certain amount up front and you're getting paid out of um what's the money called they set aside when they get the loan when a company files chapter 11 oh well i mean like are you talking about dip financing yes that are in possession debtor in possession financing so so you don't have to worry that your bills are going to go unreimbursed unpaid yeah, well, I mean, I'm working for a, a very steady law firm, like a very reputable law firm, and I love my job, so I don't see, like, job being a factor. I mean, I only do see my, you know, hopefully if everything goes well, my income going up. So that um, 230 I would tackle it. I would not put it on a 20-year payout. I would I would definitely, where you get the write-off, I would, I would go ahead and just pay it because I'm telling you, tax rates – are going to be such that that give me at an income level you're going to be at won't seem like such a great gift 20 years out. Katie's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Katie. Hi, Clark. Katie, you're ready to get into debt with the rest of America. Is that true? It sounds about right. What are you thinking of doing? Well, I am basically looking for a credit card um, that I can use while I travel. My job requires a lot of traveling right now, and I actually just applied for my first credit card, and I was declined because I have limited credit. I am really sorry. What makes up the credit you have? What kind of things were on your credit file that they said it was too limited? I financed a, um, a surgery middle of 2015. I put several thousand dollars down on it and financed about $1,500. Um, I was given a year to pay it back. I ended up paying it back uh, within six months. Well, first of all, I hope that everything went okay with you and your health is okay. Yes. Good. So is that the only item of credit you've ever had? It is. All right. That's known in the lingo of the trade as a thin file. And when you have just an item or two, a lot of people that would be making credit granting decisions won't even consider you. And... The best place to go, and I don't know if this is who turned you down, but normally the best place to go is to a credit union. Okay. Was this a credit union or was this just a traditional bank credit card that you tried to get? It was just a a traditional bank credit card. Right, and if it's one of the big banks, your chance of being approved was no higher than 0%. You had no chance at a big bank. They're never, ever going to extend credit to a thin file person on the other hand credit unions often have what's known as a fresh start program is generally what it's called generically and a lot of credit unions have their own name for it where they have a program where they'll issue you a visa or mastercard and they have certain hoops you have to jump through to get it but it's vastly superior to the alternative which is known as a secured card do you have do you have a credit union that's part of where you work? I do. Have you been to them yet? Um, I have my checking account with them. Great. 
Go talk with a loan officer at the credit union. Tell them you have limited credit history and you'd like to see if they do have a fresh start program that you could get that card you need to travel with. Okay. And if the credit union that you have where you work doesn't offer it, there'll be another in your area that does. And you can go to uh, cuna.org and there'll be a find a credit union button there and you'll be able to see based on your zip code what credit unions are near you. You can go poke around on their websites and see if they have a fresh start type program for getting a credit card. Okay. And hopefully you'll be on your way to having credit. And with that card, don't charge up too much. Try to pay the balance early that's due every month. You know, don't wait till the due date because you want to report a good payment history. Okay. And once you have the first card, getting the second is very easy. And two is kind of where you get in the catbird seat with establishing a really solid credit record when you have your second credit card. Okay, and how long will it take to build that credit up so I can start applying for these major credit cards? Well, you'll start, the one from the credit union will be a major credit card. It'll be a Visa or MasterCard. Okay. So that'll be your first one. And then I would say you need like six months under your belt with that one before you can then get another one. And you'll know that everybody loves you and wants you as a customer when you start reporting some credit history with that credit union visa or MasterCard, you'll start getting pre-approved credit card offers in the mail probably about six months out. And you'll okay. know you got the green light to get the second one. So best to you establishing credit. The fact that you have that one thing there may be something that gives you a little bit of a leg up at the credit union. Scott's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Scott. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you today, Clark? Great. Thank you. So you want to do something really cute for your kid? Yes. I would like to buy stock for my kid, and I didn't know the best way to go about doing that. So you want to buy a stock that uh, appeals to the child and everyone. Go ahead and name what stock it is you're interested in. Oh, it's Disney. So my late uncle... My oldest uncle, when I was a kid, gave me one share of Walt Disney stock. And I'm sure he had long since forgotten he did. But that stock turned out to be a great value many decades later when I sold it to put the proceeds into part of the money that I started my own business when I was 25. Oh, oh, great. So for me, it turned out... A novelty that he had gotten me turned out to be of value to me and was usable cash to help me as an entrepreneur. Right, right. I I think that's what my wife and I are hoping is that further down the line we can teach the kids that, you know, if you start and save and invest that the the rewards later on are going to be very good. Well, the easiest path if you're going to open an account and the kids are going to own a stock is to look at opening a kid's account at Charles Schwab. Okay. Charles Schwab allows a kid's account to be open with as little as $100, which is very unusually low. Most accounts you might open would require 1000 or more dollars. Yeah, I, I had done some quick searching, and, and some of them seem to have a lot of expenses 
um, associated with too. And I, I guess I got confused or overwhelmed in the process of all the different things that came up on the internet for, for buying individual stocks. And that's the beauty of Schwab. Well, you know, if you were buying individual stocks yourself and they were for you, I would tell you to go the Robinhood route, okay. which you may have looked at. Robinhood charges no trading fees at all when you buy and sell stocks. And it's an app for your iPhone or your Android. But with the goal being for a child to own this and be able to appreciate it over the years and add money to their account, I would look at Charles Schwab is what I think is the best, most viable option for you to open your child an account. And what a nice, sweet thing you're doing for your kid. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. ClarkDeals.com is where you can go to save money all through the day. Clark.com, our main web address. Do you know the average new vehicle purchased in the United States is now roughly around $35,000? They call in the business drive out. That's what people are actually transacting a new vehicle at. By far the highest number ever. And when you buy a new vehicle, lay out all that money, you want the thing to work. So there's one survey done each year there's actually two one by consumer reports that uses a different methodology another by jd power that these two sources give you the best information on what vehicle brands are the most reliable and which ones are the least reliable and there's one that gets a lot of publicity from jd power which is initial vehicle quality which i think has no pertinent value to you buying a vehicle with the hopes that it'll be reliable over time. The one that nobody ever talks about, but I think is very useful, just came out. It's how reliable are vehicles in the first three years. And there are some surprises in the new report. First, not much surprise that the most reliable vehicle over the first three years of ownership, it's one that is near at the top forever in the J.D. Power three-year survey, and that's Lexus. But, you know, that's a big money vehicle. But second place is an even bigger money vehicle, Porsche. Third place, Buick. Did you hear me? Buick. Mid-price automobiles. Followed by Infiniti, another expensive car but then next one of the lowest cost brands in the united states kia followed by chevrolet tied with hyundai so i want you to think about that four of the seven most reliable brands are not high price brand brands buick kia chevy hyundai now, how about the other end? How would you like to be on a first-name basis with the auto mechanic at the dealership service bay? Well, you could do that if you buy a Chrysler, Land Rover, Fiat, or Jeep. Those four brands 
live at the bottom of the heap in terms of reliability in the first three years. So just want you to know that because you spend a lot of money on a car, a lot of money on a vehicle, and having something that's going to work for you because the math is pretty clear. And, you know, you could buy one of the brands that's incredibly unreliable according to the J.D. Power information, and you could drive something that never, ever has a problem. At the other end, you could buy the Buick, the Kia, the Hyundai, the Chevrolet, and you could have vehicles that are in the shop a lot. You're playing odds. And why push it? Why push the odds when buying something that you know up front tends to be more reliable means you're going to have a vehicle that's going to be in your driveway instead of their service bay? Eva's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Eva. How are you today? Oh, hi, Clark. Thank you for taking my call. Certainly. It's great having you here. You are going to be an eBay seller. Uh, I don't know. Um, I have a single book that I published some years ago, and I was thinking about offering it on, on eBay, and along with selling single items that I'd like to sell. But then I heard you say, like, don't trust sellers who don't have many ratings or who don't have good ratings. Okay, that's a great question. That <laughs> seldom am I ever asked from the other side, from the seller's standpoint. But I need to digress for a second. If you have a book you're planning to sell, I would say that you should look at the Amazon marketplace rather than eBay. It's, it's on Amazon, but it hasn't been selling very much. Okay. The same. I think it's probably for the same reason because I don't have any ratings on it. Well, with eBay, if you're going to sell a variety of things in addition to your book, if your price point of your items is very low, people are more likely to buy it even if you don't have a trusted seller rating. I have a son who is obsessed with Legos. And there'll be pieces he wants. He wants. He designs his own Lego things rather than just go with the kits. And he'll figure out what pieces he needs to make it. And there are people who age out of Legos and they're selling the pieces online. And so we buy a lot of Lego pieces from people who aren't trusted sellers. Because most of what we're buying is less than $10. So the price point is key. What is your average item going to cost the buyer? Well, I've been selling things for about four ninety nine, actually four ninety nine for the for the book, but I was planning on offering pretty inexpensive, you know, like things that I could pass on for maybe five or ten dollars at first and then kind of if I built a reputation then I was gonna go with the higher ticket items. And that's what people have done on eBay for a number of years is people that are trying to establish themselves do start off with a very, very low-ticket item that people are willing to take that leap of faith and buy even though you don't have a real seller reputation. And then as you build that up, then people go to more expensive items. It's also a problem for people with people that are crooks on eBay, that they'll sell a number of inexpensive items and do everything perfectly just to establish a good rep so they can then do the big score ripping people off. But thank goodness that's very infrequent that something like that would happen. How do you get people to rate you? 
So when people buy something from you, you will have an opportunity to ask them to rate what the purchase experience was like. And people nudge me with reminders when I buy things on eBay, and I'll just give them a rating. And I find that I have not, I can't remember having a bad experience with an eBay purchase in forever. So, you know, I give people the five stars because they deserve it. Well, thank you. Oh, you want to hear something funny, Eva? Sure. I never really ever sell anything on eBay, but I did sell a car on eBay. Wow. And it was an expensive car. It was 20 thousand dollars used. And would you believe, with no seller rating at all, that I had a very active bidding process going on and I ended up getting paid more than I had expected or wanted to get for the car? Oh, my goodness. As a numbers guy, did you ever calculate the number of people you've helped over the years? Oh, you were so sweet to say that. I, <laughs> I have no idea. We all do this together and we all help each other together and it's just a privilege I have to do what I do for a living. But thank you for that sweet thought. Mark is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Mark. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks, Clark. You're going to take a spring break where you can practice your Spanish? Not so much me as my my family. My wife and my kids have learned Spanish really well, and I'm still pretty green. How can I be of help with this? This is both a language immersion and a fun vacation opportunity. Yeah. I've been looking for probably maybe the last six months. I'm a Clark Clark fan, so I started the process early and looking for the best deal. And our ideal destination is Costa Rica, but we're willing to be flexible in terms of also where we fly from. You know, we're in Nevada, but wouldn't be opposed to going to you know San Francisco or Oakland or even down to L.A. to to fly out of. But well, with that I, kind of flexibility, if you will go one step beyond specifically picking Costa Rica. And come up with a list of countries in Latin America that would that would be interesting to you. And you do that as kind of like a matrix. One of the easiest ways to look with very quick fare searches is Google.com slash flights. Google send right. everything, aren't they? And they have they have some of the key architecture for how fares are posted and stored and made available on the internet and also within the travel industry as well. So if you were to go to google.com slash flights, and are you near Reno? Is that where you are that you mentioned San Francisco? Yeah. So if you start with Reno and look from Reno first, and you try different places in Latin America that would be acceptable for the trip, the adventure and the language immersion, you're able to check market by market from there, and then you're basically building a matrix. And next you do San Francisco and Oakland. And one thing, Southwest is flying to more places in Latin America now. They are not going to show up in this search. You'll have to go to southwest.com specifically to look at their fares. But for pretty much everybody else, you'll be able to let your computer go on a, a trip around the country with first checking multiple places out of Reno, then San Francisco, then Oakland, and then I'd say as a last choice, L.A., because it's a pretty long trip for you from Reno. And what would be a expected fare to pay? I would be doing cartwheels if you find a fare in the threes round trip. 
Mm-hmm. And I would say you pull the trigger for a fair in the fours. Patsy's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Patsy, hi. You've got a, a tough question for me here, don't you? <laughs> well, sometime back I saw um, it was on Facebook, and it was something about I can't remember the exact title, but it seemed like it was a list of everything or something like that. And I'm trying to plan for my son's, after my death, you know, a list of where everything is to make it easy as possible for them once I'm I'm gone. Well, what I have is, and you can see the article we have, because you can now search it at Clark.com. Okay. And... I've got a, a guide to the records you should keep, the paperwork, what you should do about email accounts, what you do about any kind of social media accounts. And I've mentioned before that Google has something called Account Manager. And Google Account Manager is a good thing to set up that all the stuff you might have with Google, that that access passes on to your designees at the time that you no longer are with us. The title of the article is kind of long. It's why sharing information is critical in case of an emergency. Okay. So I, I didn't say in the headline in case of death, just to keep it a little lighter. But, okay. but the idea takes you through the various things that none of us get around to. Okay. And what things you should do in terms of financial documents that your son would know how to access financial accounts, information if you own your own home. I've got information here about what stuff should be available to whoever's going to deal with things after you're no longer around. Mm-hmm. And each of the areas of your life, both online, the virtual area, and then the, the tangible stuff, how you make sure that things are handled properly and that the information's available. Okay, and what is the title again? Okay, Why Sharing Information is Critical in Case of an Emergency. Okay. And with our search box, you that should pop up pretty easily. Okay. I'm very, very pleased with the ability on Clark.com now to do searches, which was not always the case. Okay. And I hope you've inspired other people to think about, hey, what is going to happen to my stuff? Who knows? What about my various accounts? You don't want that stuff to be a mystery at the time that you may not be with us. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You got a question for me? Go to Clark.com slash ask. Ryan is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Ryan. 
Hey, Clark, how's it going? Great, thank you, Ryan. How can I be of service to you? I'm looking to take uh, my portfolio to the next level. Just wondering what books you recommend on investing. Wow. So are you a purchaser of individual stocks, or how do you build your portfolio? Well, I'm maxing out my 401k and my Roth, and I have some cash that I want to invest in the market, and I'm just not sure where to begin. Okay, I am so excited for you, I can't stand it. Cool. That is great. All right, so you're maxing out your 401k and your Roth. Yes, sir. You know that's fantastic. How old are you, Ryan? 39. So you keep that up, and such great things are going to happen for you. Are you saving effectively about 30% of your pay doing those two combined? The Roth, I don't include in that, but uh, it's close to 30% of my pay from my 401k. Wow. And then the Roth on top of it? Yeah. Wow. What are your goals in life? Because you're going to be able to achieve a lot of goals saving more than a third of what you make. Yeah, well, I don't want to work forever, right? So I'd like to retire early. Um, Do you have a specific target year in mind? Well, um, the max, 59 and a half, because that's when I can start withdrawing on those accounts. Well, actually, you could, if you wished, you could retire early. A number of different strategies allow you to retire free of a penalty. Okay. But uh, let's just say... 59 and a half, so 20 more years. So there are lots of investment and personal finance books. I'm not sure you need them for, okay. with what you're doing because a lot of those are about why you should be doing what you're doing. You've got the why down and you're getting it done. How are you diversified in the 401k and the Roth? What are you putting the money in? A large, mid, and small cap. Uh, they have the lowest management fees and highest returns and then great company stock company stock yep company stock terrifies me Uh, if you do company stock do it for sentimental reasons and don't make it any more than 10 percent of the money in your 401k would you recommend not to do it at all i'd always recommend that but i never like to hurt people's pride and who they work for if you're doing large cap mid cap small cap right that's what you said Mm -hmm. you're doing right now diversified yep i might use an investment account to do investing internationally that you need to diversify away from the united states and look at doing an international index fund or exchange traded fund and in addition do an emerging markets fund emerging markets funds have been beaten to death lately you won't be buying in at a really high value But I think that combination with a low-cost provider would be great. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast of our show, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. Whatever your favorite podcast app is, we're pretty much there. And whether you love what you hear from me or hate it, take time to write a review. It's how we all learn from each other is from those reviews.